Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. What are we going to be talking about today on our Keep It Brief episode? We're actually talking about the baby formula shortage. If you guys haven't heard about that, the United States has a little bit of a baby formula problem going on. Just, uh, you know, it's only been like kind of in the news. I mean, granted, there's been a lot of everything else in the news, but this definitely was dominating for at least a couple of news cycles, I would say. Yes, I would agree. And I am so surprised that they can continue to shock us with new things. And like every every news cycle, I'm just like, wow, a new and unique thing I've never heard of before. That's like horrible. That's that's awesome. So our first source is from NPR talking about how exactly did we get in this mess? How how did we get to a shortage? Mm. And I know many of you are probably thinking, duh, so supply chain delays. But guess what? That's that's not it actually. For once, for once a shortage is not caused by a supply chain delay. Well, at least not completely. I should it's say. like in part of the supply chain, but it's, yeah. 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 <laughs> so <laughs> on Wednesday, May 18th, President Biden invoked the Defense Production Act to ensure that formula manufacturers are first in line for any ingredients they need. And Biden also directed the Defense Department to use its contracts with commercial airlines to speed the delivery of formula from overseas. And why did he have to do this? This was all stemming from a, quote, suspected contamination that led to a recall and the shuttering of a big manufacturing plant in Michigan. And that was a direct quote from NPR. Again, continuing the direct quote, that plant reportedly supplied as much as one fifth of all the infant formula in the country. So basically, there was a potential contamination. So they're just like, all right, we got shut down, recall it. I'm sure we're all familiar with recalls. Mm -hmm. Anyone remembers the Tylenol incident? So it just so happens that that formula factory happened to be one of the biggest producers in the entire United States. So like just no biggie, except extreme one biggie. Fifth, one fifth of all infant formula for the entire country of nearly, uh, of over 300 million people. And this one plant has almost 20% of all of the infant formula. It, it produces a fifth of all of it. Yeah. And That's I can't believe insane. it was Michigan. That's like insane. Michigan produces all this. It's one of the companies in Michigan. Yeah. So it, the company is Abbott Nutrition. It is one of the four companies in the U.S. that is a giant player in the baby formula game. And so I was a little shocked to discover that the baby formula game is a it, it, it's a it's a very, very monopolized business. I was not expecting it to be this much that there are four companies in the US that produce around 90% of the, they account for 90% of the entire market of baby formula and Abbott Nutrition is one of them. 90% of this market is, is run by four, four companies. I mean, if that is not a monopoly, I don't know what is. Teddy Roosevelt is rolling in his <laughs> grave over this entire issue. Teddy Roosevelt, who just came out here as the trust buster, the monopoly man, came out here and was just, I mean, he was busting up monopolies back in his day. And yet here we are in 2022, 
with four companies controlling nearly 90% of, I mean, of all of the baby formula market. It's insane to me. I mean, honestly, I think we could do a whole episode on like companies that are like, like, or industries that are like secretly monopolized that -hmm. people might not know about. Like that would be a fun episode. We should, I've been saying it for years. (laughs) This is a personal opinion of mine. That Disney needs to be yes! broken up as a monopoly. Yes, I was just thinking I have Disney been as soon as you said it for years. For years now, I am like, this no, is one I... of my top, very niche issues that I look for in federal candidates for office. Whether that's a House of Rep member, whether that's a senator, whether that is a president and vice presidential ticket, I specifically look out for that issue. And see if that's why I wouldn't buy Disney Plus. It. I literally, I literally tweeted that Hunter. I was like, I'm not going to buy Disney Plus because I don't support Disney becoming a monopoly. Like, no, it, it's insane. And so here we are. We're seeing something similar going on with the baby formula market. Who would have thought that four companies could have just cornered, absolutely cornered the baby formula market? I mean, they made it one of the most exclusive players clubs in economics in the U.S. like business markets today. It's crazy to me. I will say that I had absolutely no idea, but to be fair, I had no idea about anything to do with baby formula because I, mean, I am a yeah. person without children. Um, so know, as a person enough. without children, I have absolutely like no realm of understanding of the baby formula production companies like Abbott Nutrition. You you could have told me that before the shortage. I would not even know. But yeah, it's, as a I've seen it all over social man, media. I definitely was like not ever looking into like the baby <laughs> formula market. You know, no Maybe kids, we should no have been. boyfriend, no nothing. But apparently this should have been on all of our minds. We should have seen it coming. The fact that one plant <laughs> supplies 20% of all the baby formula in the US and it's owned by one of the four companies that has 90% of the market in all of the US. We should, I mean, that uh, talk about putting all of your eggs in one basket. I mean, like just that and it's its own, you're right. Putting all of its eggs in one basket, definitely. But then just the specific plant produces, yeah, it's compounded. It produces a lot of specialized baby formula that is meant for infants with specific conditions like allergies. So obviously not every single plant is gonna be producing that, but they mm-hmm. produce it like crazy. So you're again, compounding that, like they're not doing it. Who's doing it? Like, what are these infants with yeah. allergies getting if they're not because producing it? Then to make it even worse as if this wasn't already putting all of your eggs in a basket, that you can't really get baby formula from international sources because of tariffs that are chalked up to 17 and a half percent on imported baby formula. So no one's importing baby formula. It's way too expensive. You have to, there's a 17 and a half percent tariff on this. Who's going to do that? If you started throwing a 17 and a half percent tariff on BMWs and Audis and Mercedes Benz and Toyotas and Volkswagens, you would not see very many, if at all, any around like in the US. You just wouldn't because it doesn't make sense at that point. You would economically go and pick a different choice that is American made because this foreign made good is just far too expensive to import and people just can't afford that or they're just not willing to pay that price for it which a lot of the times I mean a baby is expensive 
and baby formula is already expensive. So then you're adding on top of that, this 17 and a half percent tariff that you're going to have to like, you know, it's always the consumers that end up paying. So God knows it's going to be 17 and a half percent that's put onto the consumers. Nobody's going to want to pay that. Of course they're not. No, so of course like, not. You really put all of your eggs in a basket on these four companies. Then you well, put all of your eggs in the basket for the one plant. Then you put all of your eggs in the basket for just having the U.S.'s companies. And then you put them in for having a specialized baby formula. Like this episode makes me so mad. I could scream. It makes me so upset. Because now these babies, there's a baby formula shortage because clearly this market could not regulate itself. Well, the article in NPR did say that this week, the FDA struck a deal allowing Abbott to reopen its Michigan plant with new safety precautions and, you know, NPR and okay. Like opening up kind of, kind of good, kind of bad. Cause like, did they ever, I mean, this might be a long shot. I know that I don't think the article mentions it, but did they ever discuss the suspected contamination? Like what was that mold? Like NPR is reporting that it will take around two weeks to restart production at the Abbott plant and another six to eight weeks to go back to full capacity. And even, even with that imported formula that we are talking about, that's crazy expensive. It still needs to be screened and will take weeks to be in stores. So while they are working to correct the shortage, you are absolutely right in your frustration, Hunter. This is, you know, it's going to take a few weeks before it gets to normal. It's going to take a minute. And unfortunately, babies don't have a few days. They don't have a few weeks. They need to be fed. Like this is a crisis. You're right. I it, It's crazy and unfathomable to see how this could happen. And I mean, it's, if anything, more of an argument as to why we shouldn't have concentrated monopolies or concentrated plants. Like look at the chip shortage when that one plant burned down. Like we need to have like backup plants. So like, I, sorry, just jumping in real quick. So I was able to find it. It is chronobacter, which it, can cause severe illness in babies less than four weeks of age, as well as premature or immunocompromised infants. And it commonly causes life-threatening infections such as necrotizing enterocolitis, which is a serious intestinal disease, meningitis, which is inflammation around the brain and spinal cord, and sepsis, which is blood poisoning, and mortality rates are high in infected patients. Well, sepsis is when your entire body shuts down. That's like if you yeah, have I mean, you're, yeah. you literally have blood poisoning at that point. So it's everywhere. I thought you were going to say necrotizing fasciitis. Um, cause that that's like the, very scary. Like the I know, that's bacteria. The, yes. So I'm assuming mm-hmm. necrotizing, like, uh, the second word where we said flesh eating intestines. It's an, it's a serious intestinal disease. I don't know enough to comment about it, but that is what the poison control was saying. So Okay. So, but it was a suspected contamination. We don't know for sure if it was contaminated. Mm -hmm. Still would like to hear more information about that, but you know, obviously this is a new and evolving situation. Facts and information is coming out all the time. Of course, if we get more info, we will be sure to update all of our hot girls here. Absolutely. But let's get into our next article, which I think is it just from the title. I'm already kind of saying like, Ooh, this could be controversial. Like And so our next article, also from NPR, talking about the baby formula shortage prompting calls to increase support for breastfeeding. So Hunter, if you want to get into it, I've I've actually heard about this argument. I've I've seen a lot of videos discussing between like feeding formula, 
for feeding breastfeeding. I don't know why TikTok seems to think that I am a mother, <laughs> but I have, I have in fact seen these videos. And so I have a bit of an understanding. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, like the article, it goes into talking about how this whole situation is just really causing a shortage because, you know, it's 20% less than what we were expecting to have. So of course there's going to be a shortage. And then when people hear shortage, they go in and they buy like 10 of them instead of just what they would normally need. They buy 10 extra. The worst. And and that is what truly starts the shortage. It's like a bank run. You know, when you hear that the bank is going to shut down, everyone goes and tries to pull their money out and then it does make the bank collapse. So it's kind of the same thing, except it's the baby formula bank instead of a giant, you know, financial institution. But so it talks about how the U.S. is in such dire need that it's gotten to the point of where factories, they're working all shifts. They are working around the clock to be able just to meet demand. And it's gotten to the point of where you're having military cargo planes bringing in formula from overseas. So this isn't just like a little thing. I mean, President Biden, he is really going in on this. That's good to hear. I mean, we that's exactly what we want to hear from our president, responding urgently to a crisis. Yeah, I mean, like he invoked the Defense Production Act, as we've mentioned before, and that he also is urging the Defense Department to, you know, collaborate with commercial airlines to work together. So, I mean, clearly this is a big issue for the president right now. Yeah. So, I mean, that's good to hear that he's doing it, like we just said. And I, can see in the article that they were talking about how the American Academy of Pediatrics were recommending that most babies be fed exclusively with breast milk for the first six months. Um, But in 2018, only about one in four babies born in the U.S. met that target. And I'm curious to see where they stand now and like where more people stand in the face of the shortage regarding pushing the need for breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. I've always seen the argument fed is best. Uh, that I think it's a very common, I don't know if you've heard that Hunter, if you're familiar with that, it's kind of like the argument rest is best. So like the fed is best is kind of more so like, obviously I think I don't want to speak for all mothers as I am not one, but I Mm -hmm. think like many people would love to feed their babies exclusively through breast milk. Cause obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. it's safe. It comes from your own body part. However, not everyone is able to, I mean, just look at the numbers, Mm -hmm. 2018, only one in four babies able to meet that target. Like, just like you said, formula is expensive. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously if you could produce on your own, you probably want to save yourself some money, but not everyone's able to, there's a lot of complications. Like I know breast cancer is a big one because clogged nipple ducts can, um, be the same as lumps. So breast cancer Mm -hmm. gets missed a lot due to that. So the Mm -hmm. idea behind fed is best is that while we, it's kind of almost like pro-choice, like we support your right to do whatever you want, just so long as your baby is fed, like, whether you want to do exclusively breastfeed once, whether you want to supplement with formula, whether you want to just do exclusively formula, whatever you do, Mm -hmm. as long as your baby is fed, which I think like I I can agree with, like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I've never heard of that before. And I, I do like that a lot more rather than just the breast is best. I understand where it's kind of a catchy slogan. It goes along with kind of what the American Academy of Pediatrics is recommending, but I absolutely understand that. And I mean, we'll be talking a little bit more later in this episode of, you know, kind of the reasons that some mothers may stop breastfeeding or they may not make it to that six months. But it also is in part due to just kind of the aggressive marketing of the baby formula industry. So 
It is a $55 billion industry. And what they do is they make sure to give a lot of hospitals kind of like deals on, hey, if you guys want to go and buy all this baby formula from us, then we'll give you a deal on it. And so, of course, you know, the hospital is going to be like, well, yeah, so they'll buy the same amount for less. So really, they'll just pay the exact same amount, but get as much as they were getting before, but for cheaper. And then what you have is you have these hospitals that have a ton of baby formula to get rid of. So of course, they're going to be giving it to you. So it's kind of incentivized people to really transfer to baby formula sooner because they just have it at their disposal. And so the baby formula industry has been really, really marketing and trying to have mothers go to baby formula before this kind of like six month target is up because obviously it's gonna make them more money. So this is somewhat of an economic issue at the same time, which is really strange to think about, but you're seeing that it was even quoted from the article, quote, some hospitals now restrict formula giveaways in an effort to encourage breastfeeding. So you're seeing that hospitals are kind of realizing this too at this point of where this continuous giving away of baby formula is kind of like pushing mothers into using baby formula before they otherwise would if they didn't have a ton at their disposal. Yeah, and you're right that it is an economic issue, but it's also like a health issue and not in the Mm -hmm. obvious sense of like these babies need food, which definitely a health issue, but also think about the maternal mortality rate and how that plays into a factor here. Because Mm -hmm. if a baby, like, let's say you're a single dad, like the baby or the mother dies giving birth, which is maternal mortality rates are, they're decently, you know, up there, especially depending on the country. Mm -hmm. A single father, you need to rely on that formula because you don't have the mother there to give you the breast milk. Yeah. And so it turns like that plays into a factor with this too. Like, encouraging breastfeeding doesn't always work or for certain families, Mm -hmm. or if you've had a mastectomy due to breast cancer in the previously, like there's so many factors, so many things. And so that also plays into this whole baby formula shortage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, another part of it is this is another direct quote from this article. Half the formula sold in the U S is paid for by the federal government to support low-income families through the agriculture department's special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children. Babies that receive that subsidized formula through the WIC program or WIC program are less likely to ever breastfeed than those who don't. So you're seeing that there is a correlation of where there, if there is a lot of baby formula introduced from a younger age, then there's a less likelihood of breastfeeding further down the road. And so you're seeing that the reason why mothers stop breastfeeding sooner than they would like, or sooner than the American Pediatric Society really kind of recommends is due to a multitude of factors, which, you know, for, it's a very personal choice as well. And so I'm not going to talk a lot on those issues, but there are a lot of issues such as health concerns. Like you were talking about, Erica, if you've had a mastectomy before, you might not be able to produce breast milk. There's also a lack of pumping places in public spaces, and there's too little paid family leave. So if you can't afford essentially to take that time, or if there's not that place at your workspace, or you know, if any of these issues clash with each other and just intersect, at this point, there's a lot of issues to why you might not be breastfeeding. And so this comes into being an issue of when you're talking about, oh yeah, we'll just have mothers go and breastfeed more. And for some people, it's really not possible. If they're at work all day and there's no pumping stations, 
you can't necessarily do that. So there's not enough paid time off for you to be able to do that, you know? And so that's one of the reasons why you're seeing that this may occur more in other places is because you may have more family paid time leave. You may have mothers not necessarily working as much within that first six months to a year of a child being born. So they can, they're able to go and breastfeed a lot more. And so the way that America is set up though, is you don't necessarily always have that option because America is really economically focused on things. Yeah. And I like how you were respecting the opinion saying you're not really going to talk about it with the, you know, going into why mother's might not breastfeed due to, you know, I mean, you're a man. <laughs> yeah, I'm a man. I have so, absolutely no, I have absolutely yeah. no place to be talking on the personal reasons of why a mother may, may or may not be continuing yeah. breastfeeding. I will say as a woman, I've definitely thought about this. Um, very like it's been on my mind as somebody who potentially could bring a child into this world. Mm-hmm. And I will share some of the reasons I've thought about, and this is specific to me, but that I've also heard about, you know, there's there's latch issues where like, I don't know if you, if some of these things are familiar to you, Hunter or not. I, but again, there are things that I've been told from either my mother or other women who've been pregnant that I knew. And there's the latch issue where the baby can't get on the breast. And there's also, you can get a rash. And like I mentioned that clogged mm-hmm. nipple duct, which is super painful. I've heard. I've, I've seen that on TikTok a time or two. Yeah. It's, <laughs> these mothers they had that and they were talking about how it was such a painful experience and mm-hmm. yeah I mean I couldn't even imagine that must be really painful to go through so yeah or I mean, just wanting I, like your I partner said. to be included because I mean mm-hmm. that mother that mother child bond is obviously so strong but you know you have a if you if you have a loving partner and you want them included in the feeding process because you know babies need to need to eat a lot like that's something mm-hmm. I would want to share with my partner should I have a baby and if I just want to catch a couple extra hours of sleep, like these, these are all reasons that I've thought of personally. And there's a million more. We could mm-hmm. literally talk for hours on it, or I could literally talk for hours on it, I should say. But yeah, just like you said, Hunter, it's super personal. And it feels like it's almost invading the privacy a little bit of mothers who, you know, are in the shortage because now they have to kind of come out. And I know there's been like social outcasts or not outcasts. Like there's been societal pressure to breastfeed. I've, yeah. I've seen that as well. So that's another mm-hmm. reason, you know, some people don't like to talk about what they choose to, because again, very personal. No one wants to be like, yeah, I chose to do this, this, this. And so now with the shortage, they might have to be outsourcing, trying to find this formula. Like I've seen countless Facebook posts asking, does anyone know where any short formula is around? Like anyone got any, like I'll pay for it. And they don't want to have to be doing that just to feed their child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a really personal thing and it's a really hard thing to go through, especially, I mean, I could only imagine as a parent having to go through this and I, I mean, it would just be horrible to go through. All right. Well, I think we've talked about the, the discussions between breastfeeding versus formula and why that's a very personal choice and why there's just so many factors that go into Mm -hmm. it. But let's talk about why some argue in favor of breastfeeding. And Dr. Bartik argues that boosting breastfeeding rates would bring substantial healthcare savings since nursing babies suffer less from ear infection, diarrhea, obesity, and other ailments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, I mean, just on top of that, just like talking about breastfeeding in terms of like an economic issue as well. So you have Katie Russ with an article, she's an economist at the university of California, Davis. And she says in the article, 
if you buy formula that goes into GDP as a transaction, breastfeeding isn't. And in fact, what may show up in national economic statistics is what you is that you may be working less. So essentially turning this back around into an economic issue rather than a social issue is talking about the fact that a lot of times you're not going to be offered this paid leave because it's going to look like you're not really contributing to the overall GDP. When in reality, you are. You're being a stay-at-home mom. You're, you're having this milk. And that essentially is putting more into the economy, but it's just not being accounted for, is what Katie Russ is kind of arguing for, is that this production of your own breast milk at home is not being included. And so it's not going to be seen as a giant contribution to the economy. I, I have opinions about that. I'll, I'll save them for another episode, but I think it's wild that just because it can't be counted as GDP or as a transaction in the economy, that it would be not, it wouldn't be factored in. Like, I understand it's definitely harder to measure. I work in a production role, so I totally understand where they're coming from, where they're like, oh, we can't really measure it. So we should just not count it. But also if the, if it were to be accounted for, it could, you know, from this article, like it's, if it were to be accounted for, then this would bring more support for paid family leave. And yeah, looking at it only through a economic lens without accounting that the family values that go into it without accounting that it's an important factor of being home with the child and raising them. It's an important bonding issue. Like that's not accounted for when you're buying formula and not, and mm-hmm. we're not, me and Hunter aren't saying like, which one is better, which one is worse. We're just saying like, or well, I'm just saying, I don't want to speak for you, Hunter. It's just like, you're not accounting for those values. You're not accounting for that effort just because it can't be calculated in a monetary sense. Doesn't mean it doesn't provide contribution to the society. Listen, you may be saving your thoughts for another episode, Erica. I will not be. <laughs> My thoughts are this. I was at home growing up. My mom did stay at home with me. And I can tell you that woman put in so much work to be a stay-at-home mom. You know, she worked for the first year that I was born. But then after that, she didn't go back and work in a traditional work role until my sister and I were in fifth grade and in middle school, you know, and I'm telling you the amount of work that that woman did on a day-to-day basis, that should not just be discounted. It's just, oh, okay, you were just at home. She was not just at home. I mean, she was raising a family. I mean, my dad was still working and my mom was still doing things with our own family business, but she was working. And I feel as though you should have these contributions put in and included in GDP because that is a really important aspect that is really not being accounted for. Because here's the thing, if you were to pay a nanny for that same service that you were doing as a stay-at-home mom, that would be included in the GDP because that's a worker. However, just because it's you doing it at home, it's not necessarily included in GDP, which doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So for me, I think that you should be including some of these factors into things such as paid family leave, because it would make for much more of a case for it. Because you are contributing a lot to society, especially with the United States, where it's having a problem of its decreasing population, just like we're seeing in a lot of developed countries. This is a problem, and you should really be acknowledging that this is work, because if you want an increased population, chances are you're not going to have as many people popping out babies 
as you would if they were able to stay at home and raise them, you know, to the point to where it's like, oh, okay, well now you can go to like pre-K and now you're in kindergarten, now you're in elementary school. Like, you know, I can go and take on a job throughout the day. So I think that this is one of the biggest issues of talking about population and how we're gonna have this replacement generation coming in and why we're seeing a decrease in population. I mean, right here, this article, it doesn't say it, but it does get into why people are not having as many babies, why people are not staying home as often and taking care of kids. It's because of stuff like this of where it's just not included in GDP and you're not being, not that you should essentially be compensated for every single thing that you do in life, but being a stay-at-home mom, being a stay-at-home dad, being a stay-at-home parent overall, it's a lot of work. And I do think that that should be acknowledged. No, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And have you seen that like, someone did a tally up and they were like, if you paid a stay at home mom for all the different hats that they wear, which would include, you know, childcare, uh, cleaning, laundry services, uh, mm-hmm. meal prep, cooking the food, like all that stuff. I think it totaled up something past like a six figure salary, which I, I agree with. I can believe I, that. I can absolutely yeah. believe that it's a lot of work to do. And so when you're not able to stay at home and be able to pump your own breast milk throughout the day. If you're not, if you don't have that at work where you're working, of course that's going to impact why you're not breastfeeding for as long as you otherwise may have. I mean, like, come on, that shouldn't even be a question. This should, this is a given of why parents might not be breastfeeding as much as the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends. I mean, it shouldn't even be a question. No, I totally, totally understand. And honestly, we could probably talk for like two more hours about it and at least make oh, three more episodes. <laughs> it ties into, well, it ties into so many things going on, especially right now with like abortion and maternal mortality rates and, and mm-hmm. poverty, because, you know, having kids obviously costs a lot of money and can plunge families into poverty. Like it just, it ties into so much. And if y'all want to hear an episode on it, we, we will do it. We, we, we can will. talk about just the cost to us. raise a family in different <laughs> countries. We can absolutely we could, talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we could talk about the cost it has just to physically have the baby, like not even take care of it, not even do mm-hmm. any, literally just to push this baby out of you in a, a hospital. Yeah. yeah. America's well, let, wild. Like <laughs> America is wild. Well, let's jump back into the episode so we don't talk their ear off, but mm-hmm. we will definitely w- get into this in a later episode, like 100%. Because me and Hunter feel very passionately about this. Very. So Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack conceded that there is a need for better supply chain than the one we have now that's extremely monopolized by the few companies, those four. Remember, four companies, guys. And the Federal Trade Commission has now launched an inquiry as to how this happened because it's just not working. Like we were just telling you guys, it's... Like we've been telling you guys, it's it's not working and there's all these reasons. And Secretary Vilsack said that we're not as resilient as we should be as he was at the delivery of 78,000 pounds of formula that has been airlifted from Switzerland on an Air Force C-17. Mm-hmm. And so just to like tell y'all like the extent of this. So the C-17, it's 174 feet long. So just imagine that just flying over your head. That's a pretty big plane. And it uses the same engines as those on a Boeing 757. Once again, pretty big plane. So it, it you should kind of get the gist of like how big this plane is. And it costs around $340 million for each one of these planes. This is the length that the U.S. is going through to acquire and import baby formula. So 
this isn't just a little cutesy thing. I mean, they're using these giant planes that are that are a little over a third of a billion dollars to come in and airlift baby formula from Switzerland to import it to the U.S. I mean, that's the lengths that the United States is going through. Not very green girl summer of them. That's not, not environmentally friendly. Not environmentally friendly, but the need is now. And the U.S. is like, we don't care how environmentally sustainable this is. We're getting this baby formula right now. Which, I mean, I agree. It is a national crisis, as you should be doing this. But, it, no, yeah, we, I mean, we that's, need the, it. that's the length well, the U.S. is going through. But we never should have been in that position in the first place. That's, that's, that's the thing. This, yeah, this episode should not exist. Unfortunately, <laughs> here we are having to make this episode because Erica and I felt like it was important to talk about that who knew that the baby formula industry had been cornered by four companies. I mean, I had no idea, clearly. I think that statement that this episode should not exist could be applied to a lot of the situations that we've talked about. Like they just shouldn't exist because this should have just been figured out in a much better and easier way. But, you know, this is one of those episodes where I I, I genuinely am kind of mad that we have to make it because we shouldn't have to make an episode about a shortage of baby formula all because there's four companies that control it. And one of those companies has one plant that supplies nearly 20% of the entire supply. I mean, that just shouldn't happen. That just shouldn't be happening. It's frustrating. And, you know, we illustrated all these reasons for you guys, but the one bright lights I would say in this is that at least the government is responding accordingly. They're doing whatever it takes to get this baby formula as they should be doing. I mm-hmm. wish I would see this response to many issues that we've talked about. Um. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's like you have like the White House responding, you have the Defense Department responding, you have the Agriculture Secretary responding, you have the Federal Trade Commission launching an inquiry and responding about this. So you're seeing that this isn't just like a one department initiative. You know, this is really encompassing a lot of different parts of the government to all work together to figure out how to solve this crisis and to really figure out why this happened in the first place and then potentially how to not ever have it happen again. Yep. And again, like we said, this situation is still kind of evolving. Everything is still kind of going on. It's new and fresh. So obviously if more information becomes available, if there's any updates, hopefully there won't be anything too crazy. Everyone will just get their baby formula and the babies will be fed. But if there Mm -hmm. are anything any updates, we will be sure to keep you guys in the know. We will update you like we mm-hmm. always do. And I know we, this has been a little bit of a longer, keep it brief, but we were passionate. And that is all that, that is all that we need to say. And this we was a hope cat, you enjoyed it. This was a very yeah. passionate, keep it brief. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like Erica said, that pretty much explains it. If there is an update, we will be right on the mics. We will be letting y'all know about these updates as they come. Like Erica said, hopefully just the babies get fed and that's that. But we will be updating y'all as we learn more about the situation, if there are any major updates to report. But with that, I think that we've covered everything in this episode, including both of our passions about multiple aspects of this episode. So thank you guys so much. And we will see you all next Monday for a full length episode. Yep. See you guys later. Bye. Bye.